It's been said the longest journey is the journey of about 12 inches from the head to the heart. I understand what's being communicated by that. I believe it's something that is noteworthy and useful, and yet, biblically speaking, I don't believe it's entirely accurate. The words heart, soul, mind are often used interchangeably. Where you think one would be used, another of those is used. Where you think it's going to say heart, because of the context, it says mind. And uh, others of great repute say we need to get these truths into our bloodstream and of course they're not taking that or using that phrase in a literal sense but we understand what is being communicated there Uh, really the heart does include the mind biblically but it refers oftentimes to the core of who we are as people and we need to get the truths of God into our heart Uh, The Bible, in fact, uh, speaks of salvation in this way. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And to believe in the heart is not to believe with the physical blood blood pump of uh, the heart, but it refers, of course, to the core of our being. Someone who's had a physical heart transplant has receive the heart of another and believes with that heart. It's not the other person who gets saved. That would be ridiculous. So, no, it's talking about the core of our being. And I want for my own life and for anyone who is under my ministry to believe with their heart. How do we get there? How do we appropriate the truths of God so that it is something we hold as convictions at the very core, at the very center of our being. I believe that's what's being communicated in Romans 10 verse 9. We believe with our heart, with, our, with the core of us, as, as we are as people, the core of our being. We believe Jesus Christ is Lord. He's our personal Lord. We make him the Lord of our life. He is always Lord. We don't make him or set him on the throne, but we do allow him to be the Lord of our lives when we confess him as such. We confess with him. No, we, we confess our faith in him. First uh, Corinthians talks about no one can say Jesus is Lord uh, apart from the Holy Spirit. It's not talking merely about mouthing the words, but believing it at the core of our being. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God, and he's our personal Lord. So, Some truth is being communicated by that saying, the longest journey is from the head to the heart. So how do we get there? How do we get to understanding the truth of God to the point that it becomes more than mere preference, a passing phase, but conviction at the core of our being? It is possible to only have head knowledge in that it doesn't affect us. It doesn't... um, It's not something that's at the core of us. So how do we get there? I believe one of the key ways we get there is something called meditation. Meditation. Here in the uh, United States in the 21st century, we live in a very fast-paced world. Certainly that's true in city life. We rush from one thing to the next. Uh, You'd have thought that the invention of all of the time-saving mechanisms we have in our home would mean we've got more time to think, 
But that's not the case. You think because we've moved from the horse and buggy, we now have automobiles and self-moving vehicles. That's what automobile means. Put those two thoughts together. It's a self-moving vehicle. We save a lot of time in our journeys. We can go quickly to places. We have planes, trains, and automobiles. We have satellite phones and uh, satellite uh, television communication and instant information is available to us. The newspaper is already on the way out if it's not already gone. And newspapers today uh, usually have mainly online versions, up-to-the-minute news and weather um, If it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, just a couple of decades ago, we'd have to wait for 6 p.m. for the news to be on television, to get a weather report or a weather forecast. Now we can just go instantly on our phone and find out what is happening locally. There's no need to wait. So we have all of these benefits, but are we more thoughtful? Have we Uh, given more time over in our schedule to just sitting and walking and thinking about things? No. We have microwave food. Does that help? Uh, No. Not sure all that is good for our health either, but uh, more than that. But we should have, shouldn't we? We should have more time than ever, but we seem to have less time than ever for thought, for pondering, for meditation. We, we are a, a generation in more stress, more anxiety than before. And when we tum- come to the issue of meditation, there, there are two competing worldviews that are at odds that are fighting one another. Uh, when we come to the Bible, it's very clear what meditation is. But in Eastern religions, it's something very, very different. And that idea has permeated our society. And the Eastern religion idea is that in meditation, you sit with eyes closed, sometimes in a definite position, and try to eradicate every thought from your mind. That's what meditation means. It's on an absolute collision course with the Hebrew mindset, the biblical mindset, which speaks of meditation in the way of to stop, to pause, and then to reflect. The Hebrew word meditate uh, is, uh, as we have it in English, in, in Hebrew it's hagar, and it means to reflect, it means to moan, it means to mutter, it means to ponder. It's talking about thought and pondering. In Hebrew thought, uh, there's actually the idea of quietly repeating the words of the Bible, and eliminating all outside distractions. So rather than trying not to think about anything, this is the exact opposite in Hebrew thought, in biblical thought, to take God's word and think it all the way through, reflect on it, moan, mutter, ponder, eliminate all distractions from the outside and think about the words that are there in Scripture. As we go to the book of Joshua, if you open up in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, there's a couple of key verses I'd like to uh, just talk about, both here and then in the book of Psalms. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. We're going to just uh, jump into the passage here. It's the commissioning of Joshua. And here was part of the instruction given to him. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You see, the book of the law is referring to God's law, God's word. Uh, obviously there it's referring to the Pentateuch written by Moses. And Joshua was instructed, don't let that depart from your mouth. You, know, you, you might have thought it might say eyes or your thoughts, but it actually says mouth. In other words, get God's word in your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And here we get that idea of muttering, of reflecting, moaning, muttering, pondering the word of God, putting it in your mouth. I, I once... Uh, conducted a short test. I asked the congregation to count silently in their heads from one to a hundred slowly. One, two, three, and so on. Just silently in their heads. And then I asked them to tell me their full name. And at the end of this short exercise, I then said, after they told me their names, what happened to the count? And just about uh, universally, the unanimous answer was, uh, the counting stopped. What we put in our mouth makes us think. And putting the name of ourselves in front of ourselves by the muttering of it, the speaking of it, the speaking of our name stopped the count, stopped the inward thoughts which were on another uh, topic altogether, the count from one to a hundred. So it is, when we speak God's word in this way, when we speak it out, it stops all the other thoughts and allows us to concentrate on what is coming out of our mouth. That's the way our brains function. Uh, you might be counting to a hundred now. Just try it and then, then say your name. And it, it's definitely, a, there's, a, there's a pause on the count. And, and that's the way we're built. That's the way our minds are. And we see something of this in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Think about it. Ponder it. Go over it. And it continues. So that you may be careful to do according all, to all that is written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Again, this book of the law, God's word. Again, for Joshua, it was the first five books of the Bible by extension because of this principle that we can apply to ourselves. It's all of God's word. God's word shall not depart from our mouths if we're going to apply this to ourselves, but instead we're to meditate on God's word day and night. So that, here's the purpose, you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. You're much more likely to do it when you know what it says and you've understood what it says. And then you'll make your way prosperous, then you'll have good success. This is not talking about prosperity as to having the house on the hill and every available means and be rich and good success. Success and prospering in God is very different from worldly success. And uh, people like Noah proved that. He was a success in God's eyes and yet didn't have too many with him on the ark. But he was a success. Success is doing the will of God. So, here we have one of the two verses I want to base what we're talking about today in view. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law has got to be in our mouths, and in this way we meditate on it day and night. This is not 
something that is a casual thing. It's something that should be deliberate. When we go to the book of Psalms, the opening Psalm, Psalm 1, is uh, also a verse. We find, excuse me, we find a verse in here that is uh, similar in terms of what was the instruction to Joshua. But here it's more in a descriptive sense. It's not given to us in a command as it was to Joshua. If you read Psalm 1, this is a description of the blessed man. He's this, he's not that. He's not that, he's this. And so the application is just equally as strong. To be blessed, to be the blessed man, we should do the same. But it's not a command here. It is descriptive language. Chapter 1 of the Psalms, verse 1. Blessed, happy, blessed, blessed is the man who does not walk, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He's not walking by the wicked's counsel, nor the way of the sinner, and he's not sitting in the seat of scoffers. He does not sit with a scoffing, prideful, arrogant attitude towards the Word of God. But in contrast, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's a reference to God's Word. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. He wants to know what God wants of him, what God counsels him, what God tells him as to the way to go. And he wants to sit and ponder on God's word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on his law, on his word, look at the next phrase, he meditates day and night. You see the similarity with Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. He meditates, he reflects, he moans, he mutters, he ponders the law of the Lord, not just for a few moments, once a day or even once a, every, every hour. It's a day and night activity. He's, his thinking is dominated by the Word of God. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Notice that. Similarity with Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Prosperity in God comes by meditation on the law of God, on the word of God. And he's going to be like a tree. This is the description of him. He's like a tree. He's not a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. I remember thinking through Psalm 1 as I was preaching at one time and I thought, um, where's God's sovereignty in this? And I began to see it in verse 3 because trees don't plant themselves. This is a deliberate act by someone unseen in planting a tree. And it is planted in a particular place by intention, by streams of water. And the invisible hand of God plants every true believer in that sense. And so we do see God's sovereignty even here. Uh, We don't plant ourselves. God plants the tree by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. And in all that he does, he prospers. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 4 through 6 
speaks of the opposite as to the end game or the uh, destination of the wicked. They, they are not like this. They are not planted, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Here a moment gone. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So again, I think these two scriptures, because they're so well known and because they are so clear, establish the fact that we would do well to meditate, to reflect, to moan, to mutter, and to ponder God's word. Again, in Hebrew thought, meditation is the exact opposite of the Eastern form of it, which is to empty our minds and think of nothing, but no, quietly repeat God's word over and over and over and eliminate all outside distractions along the way. That's important. That's important because that is a means by which we get the word of God into our bloodstream, to use the former analogy, to get it into the core of our being. And one of the things I've found as an aid in meditation is something called personal, personal application, personal meditation, personal examination of the scripture. Before we launch into that, I want to talk about that. Sometimes an objection is made because we are so busy in our schedules. Some might say, I don't have time for any of this. I don't have time to meditate. Let me just ask you, do you have time to worry? Well, it's not something we usually put on the schedule, but I think most would admit that they do worry. Well, worry is actually meditation on the wrong thing. Worry is meditation. It's thinking. It's reflecting. Sometimes it even involves muttering and pondering the worst case scenarios that could befall us. And worry is meditation. And because of the fact we do, by human nature, worry a lot, we do have time. We do have time for this. We just need to direct our attention away from fear, false expectations appearing real, as one man uh, spoke of it, um, and switch from worry to biblical meditation. So biblical meditation is uh, something that we should be involved in. And when I speak of personal meditation, what I'm speaking about is going to the text of Scripture and making it apply to us because it does apply to us. And I want us to do with that with our Bibles, to personally apply what we read so that it becomes part of us. There's a process involved, and it's very, very easy to do once I explain it. Uh, one, one caveat with this, there are verses in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, that speak of God's curse on people. Uh, read through Isaiah, read through Jeremiah, it's, it's full of it. I'm not speaking about those scriptures. Why not? Because Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 tell us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse, from the curse of the law. Uh, Jesus became the curse so that we could have the blessing. And so when we read the curses of the Old Testament, we don't say that's applying to my life. 
thankfully, because Christ has intervened and took the curse for us, bore the curse for us, so that we might be redeemed from the curse. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, Galatians 3 verse 14 says, and that's a quote from Deuteronomy. Jesus bore the curse for us, for the broken law. We'd committed high treason against God, and God sent his son to bear the punishment which included the curse of the law. So what I want to talk about is the scripture. Let's go to some of the scriptures where for many years this is something I have done to help in the process of making God's word a part of me, at the core of my being. I've always got ways to go, but I've made a a start in this. I've I've heard it said often, I've repeated it. I, I haven't arrived, but praise God I've left. I hope that's true for you. If you go to Psalm 23, you see a scripture where it's almost, well, not even almost, it's, it's kind of done for us because David writes, and rather than saying the Lord is the shepherd, people shall not want, the actual scripture is personal here, personal to David, and we can make it personal to us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And this is a a wonderful place to start in meditation. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I've spoken about a mother who's walking through the scriptures with her six-year-old daughter at night and had come to the 23rd Psalm and quoted this and asked the little six-year-old to repeat back what she had heard. And the little six-year-old said, the Lord is my shepherd that's all I want. (laughs) And the mother was about to correct her when she realized, you know, she actually got the point. She actually got the point of David's words here. Because the Lord is my shepherd soul, hear this, you're not going to be in want. He's going to make sure that your needs are supplied, your emotional needs, your physical needs. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things shall be added to you. Thank you, Lord. You're my shepherd. That's all I want, and I shall not be in want. I shall not be in such extremity of need that I'm abandoned. No, because you're my shepherd. You'll never abandon me. And you're making me lie down in green pastures, though it seems like there's a war on against me. I can sit at your feet in green pastures and feed on the grass you supply. Thank you, Lord. As, as your sheep, you're, you're making me lie down in those green pastures and you're leading me beside still waters. Though seas seem to be range, raging, you, you're leading me to a place of peace in the midst of it all. And you just walk through this psalm, psalm and it's a, it's a beautiful meditation. Um, but moving on from there, what I seek to do, not in any kind of mystical way at all, It's simply an aid, a meditation aid. What I mean by that is it's a help, a help to take the Bible personally. And and what I mean by that is on purpose, having a method to personally apply the Bible to yourself. That's a good definition. It's a method for personally allowing the Bible to be applied to your own life. 
You see, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Things have changed. And there are truths about the Christian that is not true about the non-Christian. What God has done for everyone who's in Christ, they're a new creation. It's a word that is in view in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. Well, God has created something amazing in terms of the new creation reality of the born-again believer. And therefore, there are things that we need to change in our mindset to make those realities functional in our lives. And that is the process of renewing our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, after verse 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, for this is your reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we need to renew our minds to the reality of what God has done for us in his mercy, what he's done for us. One of the ways we do that, if you uh, have a Bible you can look at, is pray the prayers of the Bible and personalize them. I've done this since I was a, a teenager, first for myself and then for family and friends, loved ones. Ephesians chapter 1, and, and as a teenager, I was reading the words and not really understanding what I certainly know now as I've studied these words for decades now. But God is not limited by our knowledge, and he can still answer the prayers of Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And I just uh, heard a teaching one time, and it just stuck with me. And that is, what is true for the church at Ephesus is true for the church in the Bahamas, in China, in England, in America, wherever we might find ourselves. If we're truly his, then these prayers are Holy Spirit-inspired prayers. They're found in the Bible. And it's certainly more than legitimate to pray them for ourselves. And so this is a great place to start in meditation. Pray for yourself. Before you read the word, pray for illumination. We don't pray for revelation. The revelation of the scripture is a finished thing. We have a closed canon, 66 books. God is not revealing new truth uh, to any of us, but he's illuminating us to the truth he has revealed. Hebrews chapter 1 makes it clear that God has spoken finally in his son and Uh, All scripture is God-breathed, and no one's writing scripture uh, today. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, through the end of the chapter, Paul prays a a prayer for the church at Ephesus. And uh, we can certainly, I'll I'll show you how how I use this to pray for myself. I pray it for others too. Uh, You may have well been prayed for with the Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 prayer, if you're a member of King's Church. And uh, what I would do for myself, let's just uh, personalize it for myself, I would take the words of Paul and reshape them, not changing the word of God, but simply using this as a mechanism tool to make application in my prayer to God based on everything that we read in this scripture. 
So I would go like this. Father, I come to you for this reason, because of faith in the Lord Jesus, love towards the saints. I'm, I'm not going to cease praying for myself as I remember myself in my prayers. Now, that can be very self-motivated, but we're praying for understanding of God's word. That, that, that's a very healthy thing to do. The, psalm, the psalms are full of that. Open up to me the, the, the scriptures. Show me your law. Reveal your truth to me. Uh, but really, the prayer begins in verse 17. And this is how I would go about it. That, Lord, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give me. See what I'm doing there? May give me the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. As a teenager, I, I'm not sure I understood uh, what those words meant. Even now, I'm not sure I, though I've preached on this passage, I know everything that's in the passage, but I know a little more. But God is not uh, limited by my lack of understanding. He uh, is able to do us exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or even imagine and think. But I pray this, that he may give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of my heart enlightened, again, see what I'm doing there, that I may know what is the hope to which he's called me, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward me, who, who believes, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, a great prayer to pray, scriptural prayer to pray. Uh, I, I do this for others and I would insert rather than the word me, I would insert the name of the person I'm praying for. May he give David the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Claire, the name uh, inserted there. May he give Claire the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Pray for loved ones that way. Uh, chapter 3, and uh, beginning in verse 14, Paul again prays this Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant me, that he might grant Clive, uh, Sandra, insert the name of the person you're praying for. But pray for yourself. There's, there's not really a selfish motivation there, except you want to know God better. You, know, you want to know his word better. You're praying for illumination of the scriptures that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant me to be strengthened with power through his spirit in my inner being. I, I love this because you know it's a prayer that God is pleased to answer. It's a scripturally based prayer. What is true for the church at Ephesus is true for me as part of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith, that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ. Oh, that I might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly. I love that. It's not just abundantly or more abundantly, but far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see, as God answers this prayer, he's going to allow his truth, part of the answer to this prayer will certainly be allowing for his truth to be right at the center of our being and believed and embraced And treasured there. Since God is saying this and and Paul is praying this for all the Christians at Ephesus, since I'm a Christian, God is certainly making it permissible that these things are for you and I too. And when we come across statements in the Bible that are true about us as Christians, since I'm a Christian, since you're a Christian, God is declaring that about you. There's a, there's a Greek word that is good for us to know. And this is a teaching that has been terribly distorted in what is called the word of faith. Uh, I was a pastor in that movement and the Lord certainly brought me out of that. But there, there's this idea of confession, not confession of sin so much. That's not what's emphasized there, but confession of positivity, positive confessions. And uh, that's the idea. I'm going to say, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I have this, I have this, I have this. And it's uh, not based on scripture and it is uh, perverted teaching. But what we find with teaching of any kind, when there are heresies, it's usually truth taken to an extreme. For instance, in the early church, Uh, in the book of 1 John as one example. There were those who so wanted to stress the deity of Christ that they denied the humanity of Christ and denied that Jesus Christ had come, you can fill in the blank, in the flesh. And so they took the truth of the divinity of Christ and took it to an extreme. Uh, Similarly, in our own day, there are many who would embrace the humanity of Christ but reject the deity of Christ. And again, that's just as much a a heresy on the other side of the ditch. Two ditches, one on each side of the road. The biblical Jesus is truly God, truly man. Fully God, fully man. Truly God, truly man. So I, I use that as an illustration There is a biblical truth about confession, and the Greek word for confession is homologia. Homos, which means the same, and lego, which means to speak, and it literally means, the word confession, it's a good translation in one word, but it means to speak the same thing. And again, this is a truth that has been taken to extremes, but if we just stay within the biblical framework, there's there's much for us in this word. And we are not called upon to confess what we wish, but to say what he says about us. 
For instance, if God says you're forgiven, we need to say I'm forgiven. If God says you're justified, we need to say I'm justified. Let's go to familiar territory and this is where we'll begin to wrap this up. This is just uh, opening up this theme of personal meditation in the scripture. Paul in chapter 5 of Romans verse 1, I want to go to something very familiar to us and just apply what we've just been talking about the last uh, 30 minutes or so. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, thinking of that passage and thinking on that passage, notice that As we've already declared, meditation means to reflect, to moan, to mutter, to ponder. We can look at those words and think on them, and that is a wonderful thing to do. And a way of thinking about the ramifications of what we've read is to make personal application. So we can think on verses 1 and 2, and that qualifies as biblical meditation. It's a wonderful thing to do. And another way of doing that, in addition, under the canopy of the big headline of uh, the big banner headline of meditation, one of the ways we can do it is make personal application in this way. And in this way, we're saying the same thing that he says about us. In other words, when Paul writes, since we have been justified by faith, I'm part of the we. I'm one of the people involved and included in the word we. So what is true of the we is true of me personally. Because I've been uh, justified by faith, there are ramifications. I've been justified by faith and there are ramifications, which is what follows in the rest of the verse. So the way of personally meditating on this is simply saying this out loud, muttering, Father, thank you, because since I have been justified by faith, I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know there's many a Christian who it would just do with them well to just say those words out loud because the enemy's taunting an accusation is certainly speaking to them things contrary to this, and we stop Satan's accusation, at least for that moment. Think of the counting to a hundred. We're thinking certain thoughts, but we stop them in their tracks by declaring what God says about us personally. Since I have been justified by faith. Oh, thank you, God. I've been to the courtroom and you speak of this as a past tense event. Have been. Because of faith in Jesus, All Christians have been justified by faith. God has declared us right in his sight, not guilty, reckoned righteous forever. Since that is true of us, it's true about me. Father, thank you. Since I've been justified by faith, I, see what I'm doing? I'm just personalizing the scripture. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What do I do then? What I do then is think about it. Wow. Peace 
The Old Testament, the Hebrew word is so well known, shalom. It's more than mere, uh, merely the fact that strife has ceased, war has ceased. It's talking about a settled peace, a, a well-being. When a Jewish person wishes someone shalom, they're wishing them a lot. And the first item mentioned as a result of being justified by faith is that we have, not will one day, but present tense. Do you notice the first part of the verse is past tense? Have been, that's past tense. We have been justified by faith. Present tense, a ramification of this, a result of this, we have peace. Peace with God. And so for the Christian who's justified by faith, though there may be times when we're under the discipline of the Lord, we're always at peace with him. He's treating us as legitimate sons uh, when discipline occurs. But the war's over. We are not waiting for the war to be over at some future time when we become more this or more that, more righteous, more, more of a prayer, more of this, more of that. No. The moment we've had genuine faith in Jesus Christ, we have been justified by faith. It's over. The, the war is over. We have peace with God. By our efforts? No, no. By and through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I'm doing is just allowing my thoughts to meditate on Romans 5.1. And I think it's possible, would you agree, it's possible to quote the verse but go a long way away from applying it to ourselves. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm intentionally reading that very quickly because a lot of times people think, reading through the Bible, I've got to get through these three chapters, I've got to get through five chapters, I've got to get my Bible reading in. And all of that is good. But have you ever stopped to pause and meditate on what you're reading? That's a way to remember the scripture. Oh, my memory's no good. It's interesting when I talk to people, talk to men about the fact they can't remember verses, I want to encourage you. I don't want you to ever feel condemned. Um, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But it's interesting to me that if you were to ask them about their favorite sport and their favorite sports teams, they can just recite batting averages at the drop of a hat. They can just say, this guy, he, he's... He, he's not doing well this, is, this season. This is where he was last season. And they can quote numbers. And I think, how do you remember that? You know why? Because they think about it a lot. That's the only difference. They think about it a lot. They spend hours in front of a television set seeing the numbers and recalling it to mind and thinking about it. Yeah, he's not quite as good as last year. Yeah, that's right. Well, And they're thinking about it. And therefore, it's part of them. So we can do it. I know we can. We may not be able to remember every reference. Uh, you might not be able to quote a number of verses, but I want to encourage you to, to at least attempt to do so. And you do that by thinking about it. I don't think I've ever been part of a memorization technique uh, system where I try to remember 20 quotes of the Bible every month or that kind of thing. I, I just, because I'm thinking about it, these scriptures and their locations often stick with me. Not always, but many times. 
And someone quotes the verse, do you know where that is? Yeah, that's uh, Hebrews 9, 27. Do you know where that is? Yeah, that's Psalm 23. Oh, how, how do you know that? that well, I, I believe you'll find that's John chapter 5. Wow, you're amazing. No, I, it's just I, I think. And some people can do that with sports. And not only is this my career choice as such, it's my calling. I, my head is to be in the scriptures. And one of the ways I make the scripture part of me even though I haven't arrived, I've left, <laughs> is by meditation. Wow, I've been justified by faith. I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, I have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which I stand. And I rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And when I understand what biblical hope is, you know, when you grow up in England, you hope for good weather. If there's a wedding, you hope that the couple get good, good weather on the day of the wedding because it's oftentimes not always going to be seen. It's not always going to be evident. And what is happening at 11 in the morning doesn't mean what's, that you have any idea what's going to happen at 2 in the afternoon when the wedding is. That's just the way it is. So hope in this world is is uh, very fleeting. It's not, uh, well, the, the word would be, it's, it's a fragile hope. You, you hope, but you're not sure. That's the exact opposite of biblical hope. Hope, biblically, is a certain knowledge of what will happen in the future. And so I can read through chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and, and actually become quite excited in my heart. Wow, I've been justified by faith. I've got Right now, peace with God. He's not against me. He's for me. And that's what we read in Romans chapter 8, you remember. God's for us. Who can be against us? God is the one who justifies. Who'll bring any charge against God's elect people? So knowing the truth of verse 1 leads me to rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to see the glory of God. I'm rejoicing now. And I'm rejoicing now in a certain knowledge of what will happen in the future. My salvation is secure, as secure as Christ is. Well, where'd you get all this? Well, it's just what leaps off from the page after I meditate on it. And so I wanted to go to familiar territory. And Romans 5, 1 and 2 is familiar territory. And I just want to challenge you and encourage you by this to, to begin, if you haven't already, the art, the science, the uh, mechanism of personal application for the means of meditation. And with that, I close. I, I trust it's been a blessing. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, equip us in this. Write the truth of God on our hearts so that we move from a, pre a preference and uh, even a, a temporary joy to a settled conviction because your word is true. We understand that grace and peace are mine. They're ours because of Jesus Christ. And we have received grace and we have peace, peace with God. I pray for all those under the sound of my voice that you would bless them and that you would continue to lead and guide them into the truth of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. For your name, for your glory, Amen.